Well, good morning again, everybody. It really is great to see you here this morning. Thank you so much for joining us for worship today. We really believe that you're not here by accident. That if you are here today, it's because God has drawn you here and He has something for you today. And so I hope that you're excited and I hope you have some expectations that God's going to do something today. If, if we've never met before, my name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor here at Alpine Logan. And if we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love it if you would come up and just say hi after the service and help me put a face with the name. That would be fantastic. I'm excited to dig back into the Gospel of Mark with you today. If you've been gone for a while, we spent the first seven weeks of the new year looking at Mark chapter 1. And then last week, we finally got into Mark chapter 2. And in Mark chapter 2, we looked at the first of four confrontations that we're going to see Jesus have with the religious leaders of his day. And last week, during that confrontation, we saw that the religious leaders didn't know who Jesus was. Like they rightly said that only God can forgive sins, but they didn't recognize that Jesus is fully God. And in today's interaction, we're going to see that they didn't understand why Jesus came. So they didn't know who he was. They didn't understand why he came. And one of our hopes in going through this series a little bit slower is that you're going to learn things about who Jesus is and why Jesus came that maybe you missed before. We hope that it'll really help you to know him in a deeper and more meaningful way. Because we want to make sure that you don't miss who Jesus is and why he came. Another one of our desires in this series is that by going slower, it's going to give you a hunger for God's word, that you'd want to get in and read it for yourself. I want to remind you, we've got a reading plan going on right now where we're spending 90 days reading through the Gospels together, and you can still jump in on that. So if you've missed that or weren't aware of it, you can go to our website or you can go to the welcome desk and ask to get signed up for that. And one of the cool things about that reading plan is we're using the U version, and so with each day's reading, it gives you an opportunity to ask questions gives you an opportunity to comment. There's been a lot of great interaction so far, so I encourage you to jump on that. Now, I want to start by reading the passage that we're going to cover in its entirety, and then we'll go back and break it down and see what we can learn about Jesus this morning. So if you want to follow along, we're in Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners. They asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. We've titled today's message, Two Kinds of People. And I know what you're thinking, but we're not talking about mayonnaise versus Miracle Whip people. <laughs> and I want you Miracle Whip folks to know I pray for you regularly. I pray that you'll, that you'll see the light. <laughs> we're not talking about Coke versus Pepsi people or even Apple versus Android people. We're talking about good people versus bad people. 
We're talking about the desirables versus the undesirables because that's kind of how culture and society tells us to look at people, isn't it? Now, the definitions of good and bad seem to change over time, but there's always been this tendency from culture to divide people into those two groups. We see it today, and it was prevalent all the way back in Jesus' time. And in today's chapter, we're going to see Jesus interact with folks that society said were bad people and with folks that the culture thought were good people. And I think you might be surprised with how Jesus engaged with each of those two groups. So what makes someone a good person or a bad person in the eyes of society? Like if you and I are talking and we say he or she is a good person, what exactly do we mean by that? Do we mean that they're kind, honest, humble, loyal, hardworking, generous? What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a bad person? Does someone have to break the law to be a bad person? Do they have to do more bad things than good things to be a bad person? And isn't it funny how most of us would set the bar for being a bad person somewhere beneath whatever we may have done? We don't typically consider ourselves a bad person. Or if it's someone that we really care about who does seem to do more bad things than good things, we say, well, deep down, he's a good guy. I remember I had a a freshman football coach who was pretty much always cussing at us, always belittling us, always demeaning us. He would show up to practice smelling like alcohol most of the time. He was rough with his wife. I mean, he just was not a good guy. And our coaches would say, deep down, he's a good guy. I kept thinking, how deep are we talking? Like his his heel? Like, what do you mean, right? (laughs) Now, if you're still checking out Christianity... Or if you've never really read your Bible, I'm going to say something that might come as a shock to you. There are no good people. We're all bad people. Now, you can argue that some people are better than others, but God gets to define what good is. And according to God's standard, none of us are good. The Bible is very clear. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Psalm 14, verses 2 and 3 says, the Lord looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God, but no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. That's the scandal of the gospel. That's why it's offensive to people. You have to come to the point where you recognize that you are not good that you're a sinner, that you're broken, that you need healing. But that's why the good news is such good news. Because we didn't do anything to earn it. We don't deserve it. That's why we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. See, we didn't deserve to have Jesus come down and take on flesh and live the perfect life that we can't live and go to the cross to pay for our sins, but he did it anyway. Because he did it out of his love and his character, not based on us. And so because of that, there really are two groups of people in the world, but it's not good people and bad people. It's people who are trusting in Jesus and people who aren't. People whose sins have been forgiven and those that haven't. People whose names are written in the book of life and those that aren't. And if you've never put your faith in Jesus and you're trusting in your own righteousness, you're hoping that one day you'll be able to stand before God and you say, yeah, but I did more good things than bad things. I hope you'll pay attention to how Jesus interacts with the Pharisees today. 
And if you've never put your faith in God because you don't think Jesus would want a relationship with someone like you because society has told you you're a bad person, then I hope you'll pay attention to how Jesus interacted with the tax collector today. And I hope it'll resonate with you. I hope it will draw you to himself. And if you're one of the many people in here who have put your faith in Jesus, I know many of us have, I think there's a lot to learn in today's passage about how you and I are supposed to engage in the world around us. So here's where we're going with this today. We're going to look at the tax collector, the Pharisees, and then we're going to talk about the difference. So we'll start out with the tax collector. We're going to see that Jesus has different standards than religion. What Jesus was looking for when he chose his followers is not what the religious leaders thought he should be looking for. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be in verses 13 and 14. It says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Now Jesus is still in Capernaum, which is along the Sea of Galilee. That's where Jesus was last week when we looked at the story where the the four friends lowered the paralytic through the roof. So he's still in Capernaum. And if you think back to a couple of weeks ago, Mark said that crowds came from everywhere to see Jesus. In fact, he could no longer enter the city publicly because so many people wanted to see him. And we see that again here in this verse, that the crowds were flocking to him. People come to him from every direction. Jesus is extremely popular right now. Like he is the end thing in the region of Galilee. And most of these people came to see Jesus do something miraculous. But we see here that Jesus is teaching. Jesus is preaching. So even though most people probably wanted to see Jesus perform some sort of miracle, Jesus knew what they needed most. He knew that they needed spiritual healing even more than they needed physical healing. So Jesus is, is teaching the crowds. It says, as he was walking along, Jesus meets Levi, who was sitting at his tax collector's booth. Now, Levi is also called Matthew. So he wrote the Gospel of Matthew. As you look in your Bible at the New Testament, it's the first gospel that's listed. And Levi is a tax collector for the Romans. So as such, he's considered a traitor by all of his fellow Jews. He would have been looked upon as an extortionist. He would have been excommunicated from the synagogue. And in that culture, his disgrace, his shame didn't just end with him, it would extend to his family as well. So not only has has Levi been isolated, not only has he disgraced, his family would have battled that too, and I'm sure that created its own set of issues between Levi and his parents or his siblings if he had any. And you might read that and you might be wondering, well, like why was it so grievous to work as a tax collector? You know, I, I know nobody's a fan of the IRS, but like what was the big deal? Well, there were a couple reasons. Number one, he was working in partnership hand in hand with the Roman Empire. So he was in a business relationship with unclean Gentiles or bad people in the eyes of that culture. And even more than that, tax collectors in the Roman Empire were basically independent contractors. And the way that you got to be a tax collector is you would put in a bid to be the tax collector for a certain city or a certain village or even a part of a city. And then the Roman Empire would award that tax collector to the highest bidder. And the way you made your money is you would pay the Roman Empire what you would bid for the position, and then you got to keep anything extra that came in. 
So there were ample reasons to cheat, to collect more than was necessary, to extort people, to deceive people. Many scholars believe that Levi was probably from the tribe of Levi based on his name. So there's an irony there. The Levi who is from the tribe of priests, the tribe that is supposed to mediate between God and his people, the tribe that's supposed to be teaching the people of God how to follow him, has betrayed them. And he's a tax collector for the Romans. And we don't know much about Levi outside of the fact that he was a tax collector and that his dad's name was Alphaeus. Was Levi one of the more corrupt tax collectors? Was he one of the more honest and understanding? We'd like to hope that, right? We'd like to think that that's why Jesus called him, because he was one of the more honest tax collectors. That would make us feel more comfortable. That would just be speculation. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible just simply says that Jesus approached him and said, follow me and be my disciple. And I wonder who was more shocked as Jesus did that, Levi or the other disciples that Jesus had already called? Jesus is probably the first Jewish person to approach Levi without contempt and scorn ever since he's been a tax collector. It had to rock Levi's world. And even though Jesus had originally called fishermen, not religious leaders, the fishermen were common men, but they weren't considered traitors. They weren't kicked out of the synagogue. So Jesus is turning up the level of turning things on their head. I'm sure the other disciples are like, what is he doing? What is he thinking? Levi is going to become one of the core disciples of Jesus. He's going to write the gospel that's most directly written to the Jewish people. And what qualified Levi for this potential role as a leader? What did Jesus see in him? What did he bring to the table? Nothing except the willingness to follow him fully. See, as soon as Jesus calls him to follow, he gets up and leaves. And in some ways, this would have been even a bigger sacrifice than when the fishermen left their nets to follow Jesus. Because there's nothing in the Bible that says the fishermen were wealthy before Jesus called them, but you can bet Levi was fairly affluent. Based on the size of Capernaum and his role as a tax collector, he was giving up a pretty lavish lifestyle. Then the other issue is the fishermen, if this following Jesus thing didn't work out, they could go back and fish again. Andrew, Simon, James, and John, they could go back and fish. In fact, they did that temporarily after Jesus, after Jesus died on the cross. So they went back and they fished for a little bit. Levi could not go back and be a tax collector. As soon as he stepped out of that role, somebody else would have stepped in and bid for that. And I guarantee you the Romans wouldn't have held it open for him as he tried out this whole disciple thing. Levi left everything to follow Jesus. He's the last guy you would have expected Jesus to call. Jesus still calls people that you'd least expect to follow him and to help build his kingdom. I know you could talk to people who knew me 30 years ago that would never believe God called me into ministry. If you've ever heard Pastor Eric's story from our Riverdale campus or Pastor Mark from our Syracuse campus, you never would have expected God to choose them to follow him and to lead people to him. I love that Levi didn't allow his past to keep him from following Jesus. If you hear Jesus calling you today, do not allow your past to keep you from following him because he didn't keep it from calling you. 
It's just about following him from this point forward. And if you've already responded to Jesus' call to follow, I want you to think today about that person that maybe you've given up on. That person that you just think is too far gone for God to use. That person that you've been praying for for a long time, but it doesn't seem to have had any effect. I just want to encourage you to hang in there. Keep praying. Keep engaging with them. Keep asking God to soften their heart because you never know what's going on beneath the surface. It's going to bring us to our our second point, which is we're going to look at the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are an example of how religion is scornful of people who don't measure up. We talked last week about how Jesus is greater than religion. But Jesus does agree with religion that people in general don't measure up. Again, God's word is pretty clear that none of us measure up to God's standard. But Jesus is compassionate, not scornful. Jesus loves the lost. He didn't separate himself from them. Jesus doesn't believe that anyone is too far gone to rescue. So let's pick up the story in verse 15. It says, Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? So Jesus starts out this scandalous calling of a tax collector to come and be his follower. And this is definitely not the last thing he's going to do to get the religious leaders in an uproar. So then sometimes after this, it says, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to come and be dinner guests. It looks like it was a big party because he invited a lot of others too. He invited other tax collectors, other disreputable people. A lot of scholars think that this was kind of a going away party that Levi threw, that he knew he was going to have a new life moving forward. And in this culture, you need to know that eating with someone was was an even bigger deal than it is now. If you ate in someone's home, if you shared a meal with them, this was a sign of friendship This was a sign of relationship. And so by eating in Levi's home, Jesus identifies himself as a friend of sinners. And the religious leaders can't get over it. They don't understand why he would do that. Verse 16 says, teachers of religious law who were Pharisees. Now, not every Pharisee was a teacher of the law. Most Pharisees were typically middle-class businessmen. They were leaders in the synagogues. And the Pharisees accepted the written word as inspired by God. So in the time of Jesus, that would have been what we call the Old Testament. They accepted that as inspired. But they also elevated the oral tradition that had been passed down as equal with the written word. So they were all about obeying not only God's written word, but the oral traditions. And the Pharisees went to extravagant measures to separate themselves from anyone they deemed to be unholy. In fact, as the Pharisees would go out into the town and into the marketplace, when they would come back home, they would go through a ceremonial washing to wash the filth away from having to come in contact with a sinful world. The word Pharisee literally means separated one or purified one. They separated themselves from everything they thought to be unholy, and they thought that anyone who didn't live like they did was separated from God. And in their pride and self-righteousness, they thought that they were worthy of God's love. That they were worthy of God's blessing because they obeyed his commands and because they kept these oral traditions. 
And then throughout the earthly ministry of Jesus, we see Jesus interacting with the very people that the Pharisees long to separate themselves from. It's a pattern that we see throughout all of the Gospels. Just a couple of examples. In Luke chapter 7, we see this interaction between Jesus and a woman who is described as a notorious sinner. Most scholars would say that she was likely a prostitute. And to make this even more awkward, this interaction happens in the home of a Pharisee who had invited Jesus over for dinner. And it says that Jesus is reclining at the table for dinner. And so the way that would typically work is you would, you would lay on a cushion, usually on your left side, so that you can reach the table with your right hand, and then your feet would be sticking out away from the table. This disreputable woman comes in and she begins to weep over the feet of Jesus. She begins to wipe his feet with her hair. She then anoints him with a very expensive perfume, and the Pharisee thinks to himself, if this guy were a real prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. The religious leader wanted Jesus to separate himself from this notorious sinner. Or we see it again in Luke 19 when Jesus eats with Zacchaeus, another tax collector. And in that situation, Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus in. Jesus invited himself. He said, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm going to have lunch at your house today. If you've never read the story of Zacchaeus, I encourage you to take some time and read Luke chapter 19 this week. And as you can imagine, the Pharisees were in an uproar over that one too. Here's what's so amazing to me about Jesus' ministry. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he never sinned. Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he never condoned sin. I want to make sure we don't get the wrong idea here. Jesus was not okay with their sin. Jesus loved them in spite of their sin. Jesus didn't pretend that what they were doing was okay. Jesus didn't call Levi and then say, hey, Levi, when we're done with this big party, you can go back and be a tax collector again and live the same way you were living before. No, he called him to a new life. He called him to come and follow him. When the woman was weeping over his feet, he didn't say, your sins are no big deal. He said, your sins are forgiven. Her sins, your sins, my sins are a huge deal because they require Jesus to come down and die on the cross to pay the penalty for them. That's why she was weeping. She knew what a big deal her sins were. That's why Levi is throwing a party. He knew what a big deal his sins were and how amazing it was that Jesus would bring forgiveness and invite him to a new life. So how do you and I apply this to our life? Like, What does this mean for us, especially if we've already put our faith in Jesus? Well, I would just ask us to consider how do we interact with the people around us that the world would categorize as bad people? Are we judgmental? Are we disgusted? Are we outraged like the Pharisees? Or are we compassionate, humble, and grateful that God called us when we were far from Him? That's a hard thing to do, and I'll be honest, I don't know exactly how to do that all the time. So my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that we be led by the Holy Spirit, that we would engage in a broken world around us, that we would be compassionate to sinners but condemn sin, that we would invite people into a relationship with Jesus because he's going to bring healing. And that's going to take us to our last point for today's service. We're going to call it the difference. Jesus came for people who know they are sinners. Mark 2 verse 17 says, When Jesus heard this, he told them, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, 
but those who know they are sinners. I think it's interesting that religious leaders at this point didn't have the courage to ask Jesus directly any of these questions. It always says they asked the disciples. And this was pretty early in Jesus' ministry as the disciples were still trying to get their heads around. And I'm sure when they said, why does he eat with scum? The disciples were like, I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out why he called the tax collector. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. And I love how Jesus goes directly to the religious leaders with his response. It says that he hears this question and he replies, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. See, look at how Jesus sees the world. Look at how Jesus sees people. He identifies us as sick. Jesus never says, go live how you want to live. Whatever's true for you is true for you. Just follow your heart. Jesus never says that. Instead, Jesus points out that we're sick, that we need healing. We need a rescuer. We need spiritual healing. But but here's where he's different than the religious leaders. Jesus didn't scorn them. He loved them. Jesus didn't separate himself from the world. He engaged with it. That's what he calls us to do. See, even though religion and society would say there are good people and bad people, Jesus said, no, there, there are two kinds of people, but it's the people who think they are righteous and the people who know that they're sinners. There were a lot of Pharisees who thought they were righteous on their own ability. And some things never change. There are still a lot of religious people who think they're righteous based on the things that they do because maybe they have a little better track record. They look better on the outside than some of their neighbors do. They, they try to obey the Ten Commandments. They think of themselves as worthy before God. And not to be sarcastic, but they're going to have a rude awakening one day if that's what they're counting on. See, they believe they've done something to earn his favor. And that's not just limited to religious people. There are a lot of secular, irreligious people who don't recognize they're broken, who don't recognize that they need healing. And so for people in that group, the next step is they need to become spiritually poor. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, we have to come to the point where we recognize that we're spiritually bankrupt. We don't bring anything of value to this transaction. It's all Jesus and what he did on the cross. And then once we're in that group that recognizes that we're broken, then we come to the great physician for healing. We come to Jesus and we allow him to change us. See, nobody goes to the doctor and hopes to go home the same way they went in, right? If you go to the physician, if you go to the doctor, you want change, you want healing, you want to come home differently than when you went in. It's the same thing with our relationship with Jesus. He changes us. Now, we're still going to sin. We're still going to make mistakes, but our life should have an overall pattern that's different from before we met Jesus. See, many of us in this room, we've done that already. It might have been months ago for you. It might have been years ago. It might have been decades ago. My question for us is, do we still recognize every day how much we need Jesus? Or have we fallen into the trap of trying to be righteous on our own? I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon that in these first two confrontations, the religious leaders didn't recognize who Jesus was and why he came. I do not want you to leave here without me clearly explaining who Jesus is and why he came. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is the Messiah, God in the flesh. That's who he is. And Jesus came to pay the price for the sins that you and I should have paid. He came, he lived a perfect life, he went to the cross, and when we put our faith in him, 
we can have eternal life. Jesus was the only good person, according to God's standard, who ever walked the face of the earth. And when we put our faith in him, we can have new life. So I just want to wrap up by talking to to two groups of people, those who recognize their sinners and have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ. Do not let your past keep you from following him if you hear his call today. Just be like Levi. Just get up and follow him if you hear his call. For those of us who have already done that, I pray that you and I would be intentional this week about engaging in this world around us, condemning sin but being compassionate to sinners, just like Jesus would do. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its usefulness in our lives. Thank you for the encouragement that it brings. Thank you for the correction that it brings. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved me when I was so far from you. That even though I didn't bring anything of value to the table, you reached out and you called me. And you invited me to follow you, and I'm so grateful for that. And I'm I'm grateful for that for everyone in this room who has done that same thing. And Lord God, for anyone here today who maybe is hearing your call for the first time, God, I just pray that they would listen, that they wouldn't let their past get in the way, that they would just follow your call. Because God, you will bring healing, you will bring a newness to their life. And God, for those of us who've already done that again, would we just be aware and intentional about how to engage with the world around us? Would we be compassionate? Would we be humble? And would we be grateful that you've called us? And I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.